that's right, we're talking a nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from 1428 Elm Street. It's a very dilapidated condition. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory details of the Dream Master in the hopes that an unfortunate and underwritten teen's death is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. And as always, there's only one person that I trust, that when I have a heart attack on a one-way street, she'll steer me in the right direction. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? Oh, I'm sad now. I don't want to think about that. (laughs) It's not me. It's Tuesday night who's delivering such heartfelt lyrics to such crisp and clear 80s beats. (laughs) So what happened in this episode? It turned out that I sent Gina the wrong schedule. I sent her uh, a date uh, that was a day later than what I had scheduled for our guest. So immediately following this, we will have on our guest. Uh, But before we get to him, I wanted to make sure that I got Gina's thoughts on the beginning of this movie and a couple of questions that I just want to iron out before I begin our conversation with our guest. One of them is, why is Freddy such a terrible decorator compared to Jason? <laughs> I, I I don't think it's a, you know, I think that's a low pri- priority for him. Um, you know, he, he's got work to do. He, he's got to get those last couple of Elm Street children. You know, he's got to dispatch them. But he's had nothing but time buried underneath the junkyard so that when someone shows up at his 1428 Elm Street lair, which makes no fucking sense, he can do better than just a baby doll hanging upside down from a chandelier. You know what I'm saying? It's like a low, it's like a low budget Christian haunted house. It has a lot of those vibes. There's there's too many torn <laughs> curtains over archways, which is not where you put torn curtains or curtains at all, for that matter. Like, that's a living room. What are you, like, you're having a seance in there? What the fuck is happening? Well, I mean, he is also in, in pieces in his in his burial ground. You know, he, he's been at some point dismembered, which, which mm-hmm. I, I don't recall him being dismembered. The last time. Well, I mean, he was loose. He was like a loose bag of skeletons. And then after the celebration, he just kind of falls. Oh, yeah. He just kind of fell apart like a like a Ray Harryhausen uh, effect. That's true. That That's yeah. true. So I think that's what it's hearkening back to. Again, this movie has no problems with visuals. It's all like nothing ever makes any fucking sense. Oh, but yeah. I mean, a, a, do- a dog, a, a dog pees fire. I mean, when you, when you got a when you have a dog that pees fire in your movie, all bets are fucking off, man. It's um, it's the the last time I saw someone pee fire was in that Arnold Schwarzenegger end of times movie that Universal made in '99, <laughs> where he like makes drunken milkshakes. Oh, that was uh with Gabriel Byrne. The, the yes, he, Gabriel uh, Byrne pees fire in it. Uh, have you ever had a kidney stone? I have not. That let's, feel that feels let's a lot knock like on wood on that one. That's yeah, I would not wish that on on my worst enemy. Uh it doesn't sound like fun and I don't want to do it and I got enough knee problems as it is. I'm just saying speaking of peeing rocks fire. In my penis. I'm, I'm just saying you know, about peeing fire. 
Let's talk about uh, bad switcheroos. I only want uh, urine coming through that particular tube. I don't want rocks. Here's something I also don't want. When I expect Patricia Arquette to show up somewhere, Tuesday night ain't going to flow it. I'm sorry. I don't care how wonderful her recording career is going currently. I w- she was a poor replacement in my mind for yeah, Patricia Arquette. And I was reading about the... Yeah, granted, it was the Wikipedia page, so probably not 100% accurate information. It was said that they didn't even audition Patricia Arquette for the role, which is, I mean, are they, were they, was she out of their budget by that point? I don't think she was. This was Uh, like, this was like pre-True Romance before she became a fairly prominent actor. I, I can't imagine they weren't working with Patricia Arquette dollars at that point. I have to imagine, because they had a $13 million budget, that it's either... She was doing something else and could not be on the movie, or they simply did not want to offer her anything because they're going to kill her off. So why spend Patricia Arquette money on a performance where she's only around for the first third of the movie, I guess? I, I can only assume, yeah, it's the, it, it doesn't, it, the, the characters don't mesh at all very well at, at all i mean it, obviously you, you watch enough television and all it, it becomes kind of a thing where eventually another actor just replaces an original actor you, you kind of got the you know, the whole you know darren and darren from 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 bewitched mm. you know where you can't even tell the difference between them it's just sort of seamless you know i think the only thing these two actors have in common is they have blonde hair there's a charisma deficit at hand here. And I don't think that's Patricia Arquette's greatest role or performance by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's unfair to Tuesday night to make her assume that she could fill it. In which case, like why, why give her such a prominent role? I think there's a structural problem with this movie and it's inherently having to do with the fact that it was written in six days. The seventh day it was sent by federal express Hollywood. (laughs) And after that, there was a writer strike and they just didn't develop what the story was. And I think if they had given it, I don't know, one or two more weeks, they would have figured it out a little bit better. Like if you're not going to have Patricia Arquette back, kill her off nearly facelessly in the first five minutes and have Joey and Kincaid deal with the fallout with all these other characters, as opposed to make me somehow okay with Tuesday night playing Kristen, which just is unfair to everyone involved. And it's a, uh, it's got one of my least favorite tropes in, in ongoing horror franchises. And, and uh, it's that we're not talking about this anymore. This, this, this traumatic event that, that, you know, we went through, nobody mentions it. We just, we all went back to high school. Like everything is normal. Kristen's mom. I mean, this is, this is you're going to be covered in the next episode, but she's just like, well, you're not sleeping very well. Well, gee, I wonder why. <laughs> like a lot of people died. And, and again, with the whole, Oh, well, Freddie's just a legend. He's not real. It's like, yeah, I, know. I hate I hate that so much. I hate it so much. I I, I the movie the movie's fine. It's 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 okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, did you know, after watching enough of these movies, do I hate that we're just going to act like this thing that happened on the on the film's timeline? You know, a year ago, you know, we've just all collectively decided to forget it. It makes it almost a little more sense when it comes to Freddy being a dream demon because it's hard to convince people of that. But on, on the other end of it, you have this 
long line of dead teenage bodies to contend. Yeah, with. I mean, I I don't like, see, I don't understand how the whole thing that happened with Nancy in the first movie is not like the stuff of constant gossiping. I mean, her house is still the there. Second movie, he showed up at a fucking pool party. Like that's something that happened. Yeah, this is, and it's not like something that happened a hundred years ago or fifty years ago. This was like five years ago. And, and everybody's like, oh, that's just, I don't believe that. That's just, you know, that's just making stuff up. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I don't believe the cheerleaders showed up to a football game and none of them wore underwear. That's, that's just a rumor. They're dead people. Like one guy got sucked into his bed and blown up into a blood fountain. Like you're not just going to resell that home. Like there's a lot of problems going on here in this town. Right. It's like, it's basically like the, the West coast answer to dairy. <laughs> But like, Derry, it, they at least go through the rigmarole of explaining why the adults don't talk about it, because there's a tacit agreement that if they don't talk about it, they won't be influenced by it or they won't be touched by the evil and they'll somehow benefit from it. Like, at least they, they, there's a, you know, a good 700 pages that explain why this is happening <laughs> <laughs> amongst all the other just terrible sex scenes and bad uh, victim blaming that happens now now there's 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 there is only one terrible sex scene but it makes up for for so many other <laughs> it it really just you know it, it equals several terrible sex scenes and so i think i think that covers a lot of the questions i had actually some of these questions I'll, I'll actually be covering in our in our next episode with Ashley Blackwell. But uh, I am sorry that I erased your opportunity to talk about this okay. section at length. Is you're, there any part just, of it that you really needed to get off your chest? I, I, what I need to get off my chest is you're sabotaging me. That's what I need to get off my chest. <laughs> also, I need to talk to you about your replacement. And I would like a lot of the Patreon money back. We're going to do that on the air. Huh? I, I see. Yeah. I, I, I get the <laughs> Oh, it's the best place to do we're it. Gonna hash this all out. I, I get it. Okay. I, I think we've established I'm not a planning genius, Gina. You, you, I, just, <laughs> you just you just just jumping out from the from the bushes at me and just just coming at me with all this. All right, all right. Oogity boogity. I want your part of the Patreon. Uh-huh. Listen, I know where my bread is buttered on this particular role, Gina. I I uh, I'm coasting on your fumes. People tolerate me to get. To the bon mots that you do. Oh, I, I'm sure that the times I haven't been able to be on the show, you've been inundated with, hey, where's Gina? Yeah. I'm sure. I'm yes, sh- yes, mm-hmm. yes. People are not happy when you do not appear. So we've learned our <laughs> lesson. And so when we have these little mistakes, we try to make up for them. Do I want? Do that, I have anything to say about yeah. the, the first half an hour? Yeah. Um. I mean, I I I was never a big fan of the whole like he has to get rid of X number of of children, and then I guess his work will be done. He doesn't seem like somebody that would have a plan, and no. I, I think he just. I mean, he was a child killer in life, and he it makes sense that he would just continue to be a child killer in death. Yeah, I that's mean, what I don't quite understand. Why they need to connect it to like, well, once I kill all the 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 last Elm Street children, then I'm I then I get like, to go I, off into my blue heaven. I was gonna say, like I mean, does he get his wings? I mean, how does this work? I, I <laughs> you know, a a a a child killer doesn't usually say, "Well, I'll just stop at this one." So yeah. I, I I know that that's I believe that started that 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 sort of came up in the last movie, and I just like. 
I don't I don't care for that. It doesn't it it it, it seems like a very convenient plot device. Um not a huge fan of of uh of Kristen just sort of yanking these people into her dreams whether they want to go or not. That's in, <laughs> that's inconvenient. Uh, Kincaid and Joey have nothing better to do than to doze off and wait for her to come grab them into her dreams. Uh, I, I, yeah, I do, it's a I do undercooked. I, I do like being reminded of uh, Randy of the Redwoods from from MTV. That's a first. That's a face I haven't seen in in a piece. <laughs> I oddly enough, between this and the sequel to um, When a Stranger Calls. Uh, when a stranger calls again, uses the same MTV interstitial, which makes me wonder why are people doing more interstitials? If that's what we remember from MTV, why are people doing more of this shit? And why aren't they hiring me to do it? <laughs> do you want to hire Donald Logue to be a, a, a cab driver again? So he was talking yes. about life. A sweaty cab driver who just talks about music videos. Yes. Yes, so I do. Humorous to get a little, get a little, Dennis Leary complaining about shiny, happy people. <laughs> Boy, we are really it fucking aging ourselves on this, on this here <laughs> podcast. Hitting this that, has been hit, old people talk with Patrick and Gina. <laughs> hitting that, hitting that, uh, the, the youth pulse again. That's why people come here for the youthful energy that we deliver 24 sevens. <laughs> Uh, in our podcast that we only deliver once every other week we, sometimes where we have talked about you know 20 25 year old mtv commercials and kidney stones <laughs> and my knee arthritis and your, and your bad knee oh jesus christ <laughs> this has become uh you all you all are our cloud and we're just the old people yelling at you <laughs> So that does it for this section. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to we're gonna bring on our guest. And of course, Gina will be back next week. It's no surprise. We just recorded the episode. And yeah, we did not don't screw up the schedule this time. I don't ever disappearing from the show again. So <laughs> let's try to not do it again. I will put my life on hold until you tell me when to show up and, and what to record. <laughs> That's what I want to hear. Because I'm a weirdo. Uh, and so that does it. So stand by, everybody. More to come. Bye. But don't worry, folks. We are not alone. That's right. We do have a very special guest. You, of course, know him from his own show, Scream 101. And, of course, from Attack of the Queer Wolf. He is a returning all-star. The one and the only Brennan Klein. How are you doing, Brennan? Hello, 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 Patrick. I'm so proud of you. You're doing such a great job. <laughs> All by really my triumphing lonesome? in adversity. <laughs> adversity that I created for myself, though, Brennan. No one well, you fucked this up. For... I, I did all the fucking. <laughs> yeah, you texted her and you were like, we got to make sure to record on Friday the 13th. And then <laughs> turns out it wasn't the right date. Always seemed to miss it. Always seemed to hit Saturday the 14th and not really <laughs> realize where exactly I am. Until all of a sudden, shticky 70s comedians start coming out of the woodwork. Mm -hmm. But here we are. We are at the Dream Master portion of our review of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. And so, of course, that brings uh, to bear a very important question for you, Brendan. Okay. And that is, where were you? At what point did you first find the Nightmare on Elm Street series? And what film did you watch first? 
Well, flashback. Um, <laughs> I When I was on your Friday 13th Part 5 episode, I talked about how the summer after my junior year, Scream 4 was coming out. I was very excited, but I'd seen none of the Screams. So I got this flurry of Netflix DVDs in the mail. I watched all the Screams. I wanted to watch all of the movies that were referenced in Scream. So I started going down these crazy franchise marathons with my boyfriend at the time who we're not together anymore. I wonder why <laughs> um, <laughs> this may have been the nail in that particular uh, relationships coffin is what you're saying. Could have been, who knows who's to say, <laughs> but yeah. So I talked about that in more detail on the Friday the 13th episode, but I want to kind of skip towards like midway through that summer when we started with the very first uh, West Craven nightmare on Elm street. Uh, we had just seen like Halloween, Friday the 13th, like one and two Blair Witch. So we were pretty early on still. Mm -hmm. It was actually the only franchise we finished that summer. (laughs) I think we capped off Friday the 13th at part eight. Right. That's a good time to bounce. Yeah. And we capped off Halloween at part one. (laughs) Um, You didn't even get to part two or season of the witch. Nope. I was in high school. I was not prepared for the uh, steady pace of a John Carpenter film. (laughs) Okay, sure. Uh, um, I mean, obviously, I've seen all of those since. Uh, Not all of them with that boyfriend. (laughs) Um, But Elm Street was the one that really dug its claws, so to speak, into me. Um, And funny story, I actually was trying to cap off that uh, marathon with the remake, which I was going to rent from my local library. Um, But they wouldn't let me because I wasn't 17 yet. It was literally the day before my 17th birthday. (laughs) Oh, that's a good time to put your foot in the sand. It really the day was before. Um, I literally, I, it literally didn't occur to me because I had just been using Netflix DVD for all the other ones, and I was like, "Well, they've they've been letting me watch that." <laughs> um, this, this faceless corporation has been allowing me to break the rules. I don't understand mm-hmm. why you, a library, aren't allowing me to do the same thing. But. Well, I, uh, end of the story is I had to pull a full Ocean's Eight library card heist and use my mom's card. <laughs> Um, like an hour later and nobody noticed. (laughs) Well, that either says something about the state of our library system or your ability to pull a McLovin on a government institution. Maybe both. Um, But I mean, obviously the risk was far greater than the reward in that case, but I'm glad I managed to finish that franchise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here we are. Uh, We found ourselves in the summer of 1988. Uh, this motion motion picture or a most picture as I, it is the most, it is the most of the most in pictures, um, had, it was, comes off the heels of the amazing success that was dream warriors, which had a $5 million budget and made $45 million and was probably far and away the biggest, the biggest success new line cinema had had up until that point. And really pushed them into becoming a mini major at the time. So they got to get a new one in theaters quick. And wouldn't you know it, just on the dawn of being able to put this thing into motion, they announced the movie. They have a poster. They have a release date. They have no script. And they have no director. And they have no idea what to do. They just know it's called the Dream Master. And something will probably happen after that. (laughs) so they hire a guy by the name of brian hegland to write the script for it under the condition that he write it in seven days and he does 
and it, it does shows. not show at all. <laughs> it's seamless. You would never know that this was a rush job of a guy hunched over his dad's kitchen table in Massachusetts as he needed to, to hit a six day mark in order to get it to the overnight mail guy and get it into the hot hands of New Line Cinema. I was going to say, I wonder if that's why there's so many dad's kitchen table scenes in this opening 15 minutes. <laughs> there's definitely some sad kitchen table action, but we'll get there. It's definitely a lead that we need to pursue. Uh, the budget on this one, much higher probably because they needed to fill a lot of the airtime of the movie with special effects, which they do rather successfully is 13 million. And it brought in 49 million domestically. So just a little bit higher than warriors, but they also spent a fair amount more on it all. Um, So that's the story of it from behind the scenes. And uh, we should say that before this, Rennie Harlan had directed Prison, which had special effects by John Carl Buechler, who would go on to direct uh, Friday the 13th, Part 7. Um, and that has the best looking Jason in it. And also yes, has and- a, a blonde character who walks around like a neon blue ninja. In go-go boots. <laughs> True. Also, rest in peace, John Carl Buechler. Yes. Uh, you will be missed. Um, I He looked to be in somewhat failing health when they had the showing of Part 7 um, a few years back. And um, I'm sorry to see him go. Uh, but his work was yeah. rather spectacular. He created great monster stuff. And while we're not going to see a ton of it in this section of the movie... It should be noted that he was really good at it. So yes. let's get into it. Why don't we? Yeah, that's why you bring me on the show, just to bring the energy down. <laughs> Who died <laughs> since this movie came out? Um, almost everyone. Um, <laughs> so uh, we start with um, a scary dream quote because, you know, n- no one, everyone loves a good uh sophomore beginning his forensics final to a horror movie. Look, I, I expect uh, the dream child to start with Marion Webster describes a nightmare <laughs> as. Look, I wish everyone went to quotes.com before making like Leprechaun 8. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the thing I did not remember about this series was like it was just littered with random dream quotes before the movie and i don't know that they get better or worse they just exist oh they get worse oh, okay that's good to know <laughs> don't worry i watched these all recently <laughs> um so if you're wondering uh this movie does have a soundtrack which would separate it from just the single dawkins song of dream warriors now we have all sorts of people on this soundtrack including uh, the woman taking over for Kristen here, Tuesday night. Um, With one of her classic hits. <laughs> I don't know the name of it. The the nightmare I walk with? Or, um, fuck if, if, we're going, if we're going with my favorite line, it's a heart attack on a one-way street. Oh, that we, we are, you read my mind. <laughs> um, my favorite line is, he walks with me while I sleep. It's like a heart attack on a one-way street. Combining the two major fears of every teen audience, cardiovascular disease, and reading a AAA map. 
Yeah, a sign that says no outlet. <laughs> oh, no. And do I have to do a K turn? Ooh, spooky. <laughs> um, she meets uh, someone doing folk art with chalk on a sidewalk. And then it's washed away with a very localized rainstorm. Hey, it's a dream. Anything can happen. Anything Any can happen, including can a happen. hose that you just aim slightly upward and then on to chalk. Um, and then uh, we get to see the now further dilapidated version, dream version of 1428 Elm Street, um, which is now being haunted by uh, loose uh, curtains. Whoa. I was going to say, there are curtains just in door jams between rooms it's no. endless curtains it's like it's like that scene introducing um daisy and Bos Lerman's the great gatsby <laughs> is that is that too niche of a reference just no. billowing it's just niche of a reference enough it's exactly what we needed i mean are um, you a niche reference podcast yeah, pretty much <laughs> that's that's our new itunes category that we're going to be put into Number one um, every that week, baby. or film histories. I can't quite <laughs> determine which one it's going to be. It's certainly not going to be comedy. Um, and uh, we also see more of the ghost girls jump rope team, which is continued to go into mural with one kid in a baptism suit playing ball. But that's not what I come here for. Ghost girls jump rope. And I don't even get no, a nursery that- rhyme in this. I don't, what the fuck point is this? No, that's one of my favorite things. This, this I would say, is one of these uh, fabled micro trends you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Is that there's always an increasing number of children <laughs> until I think it's in the next one. There's like a whole uh, like alcove of children in the church. <laughs> it's very exciting. <laughs> well, he did kill twenty plus children before his fiery death, so I assume that he's just continuing to pull from he's exhausted the a team now he's into b and c um he's he's clearly into b at this point who is this boy (laughs) i don't know very ill-fitting communion suit that he's wearing it's it looks like he's going to some sort of disco prom um as previously Um, mentioned as previously mentioned this was written by brian hegeland uh he had written 976 evil uh previous to this Although that film came out afterwards. So let's look at some of the highs and lows because there, there's nothing in between for him. You have 976 Evil, LA Confidential, The Postman, Whoa. A Knight's Tale, The Taking of Pelham 123 Remake, Mystic River, and my absolute favorite uh, thing on, on his IMDb. He rewrote the Wachowskis. A version of assassins which oh. is a very very stilted romance picture between sly stallone and antonio banderas and is incredibly sweaty i mean uh, look any movie where antonio banderas is sweating just onto the camera i will watch <laughs> it's now famous just for that one gif where antonio banderas leans back from looking at a computer and slightly biting his fist in happiness Oh yeah, I've seen yeah, that. That's from Assassins. Like nothing else from that movie has continued to exist in pop culture, but that. But I think it kind of typifies what that movie is, which is pre-matrix ideas without a home. 
It's just a lot of email correspondence and very green type. It sounds like Fifty Shades of Grey, frankly. <laughs> um, okay, I, I have a, I have a question for you, Patrick. Sure. Um, do you ever talk about the credits, the credits of these movies, unless they're exploding? <laughs> I mean, I we have talked like, about like the literal physical words on the screen. We have talked about in terms of credits, opening titles has been our main focus because in part two, we had a very faux Terminator thing. And in Dream Warriors, it became green and sort of a witch hazel look. And here it kind of goes blue. It's almost leaning into Comic Sans. I don't know what they thought that Dream Master font was, but it barely says Dream Master. But that's about as far as we go in terms of credits. But uh, have you figured something out for us? Yeah. Can we change that today? <laughs> um, because well, for the first thing, the first thing I noticed um, was that it's credited as Robert Englund in Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Yes. And I thought that was really interesting um, because I've never noticed him get like a above the title credit like that before. Um, but then I noticed that the all the acting credits um, are listed in alphabetical order. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure he just didn't want to get billed after Rodney Eastman. <laughs> He's like, no, put me above the title. Well, this is the, his height. I mean, this is, he's now opened one picture and everyone agrees. Freddy is the reason why nightmare movies do well. And so off of this, he gets his director's gig with 976 Evil. Mm-hmm. Then he gets above the title for The Phantom of the Opera, another film in which he appears in burn makeup. Mm-hmm. And not much else happens. I his don't milieu. remember a lot from that movie. Uh, Jill Sholin sings a little bit. There we go. In that it's husky voice. I mean, okay. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> although um, uh, the her, her hair do in um, A Stranger Calls Back is a crime. (laughs) It might be the biggest crime in that entire movie. There are multiple murders. And in a hospital bed, she's just punched in the stomach when she already has a bullet in her head. (laughs) But that hockey hair they give her is a fucking tragedy. Yeah, you think that's what she regrets the most? Her character regrets the most? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) It's getting that hockey hair. But speaking of 976 Evil 2, do you think Robert Englund was just so wowed by the script for the Dream Master? He was like, I have to see what you have in your in your, in your your desk. <laughs> I mean, he ba- basically, he said, when New Line's like, we got to put this into production, we got to hit this date, but we don't have a writer. He said, bring over Brian Hegeland because 976 Evil was like a good script. And like, fine, if he can do it in seven days, he can do it. And that that was the parameters. And then by the time he was done with it, the writer's strike was happening and no one else could touch the script. So the rest of this movie is just a hodgepodge of random ideas people have and improv. And it shows. Oh, and also, but the thing the thing I love about it is that one of the people having providing these random ideas is Rennie Harlan. Yes. And his particular brand, I wouldn't say is quite in the Venn diagram of the nightmare brand. <laughs> um, I think my favorite, actually getting back to the opening scene, sorry for distracting you. Um, but my favorite kind of microcosm of that is 
Do you remember in the previous movie when there's a tricycle that rolls into the room and starts melting for no reason? Yes. In this one, a tricycle gets fucking punted down a flight of stairs. Like, is the tricycle a part of this? Fuck it. Throw it down the stairs. They don't even, like, this has got to happen. I guess, uh, throw it down the stairs. It's just gloriously inelegant. (laughs) Um, Speaking of things going downhill from one film to the other... In previous movies, we had had glorious background pictures. I'm thinking back, of course, to Thick Werewolf and (laughs) Kitten Magnum P.I. goes on vacation to San Francisco. Here, we have just a fat baby picture. (laughs) It's kind of sad. Oh, Patrick. Yes? I have a surprise for you in an upcoming scene. Ooh. Oh, I can't wait to hear about it then. I'm so ready to share (laughs) it with you, but let's keep going. Okay. Um... I wish Gina was here, but we'll discuss this with her more in detail when we have her on in part two. And that is uh, obvious dummy alert. Kristen uh, is not a real Kristen when the window explodes. That's Look, a Cri- real obvious dummy. Kristen is not a real Kristen before the window explodes, Patrick. <laughs> no, Tuesday I don't. Tuesday night and Patricia Arquette are not, are, they're not the same. No, they're not in the same league. And I don't, listen, who is? It's very hard to step into the footsteps of another performer, especially one who goes on to the level of fame and reverie that Patricia Arquette does. Yeah, and I cannot say that Tuesday night holds the screen with an iron grip. She is she's one of those moon pie faces. And I hate to rip on people's looks, but she's kind of got that man in the moon face thing. And if they were going for a lookalike, they missed the bar. <laughs> and maybe they should have just gone with personality type because this, this well, does not go well. There's literally there. She has a line where she's like, you've got this, Kristen, you can do it. Because if she didn't call herself by name, we wouldn't know who she was. No, there's, there's no identifying. There's no behavior of her that would do that outside of her calling Kincaid and Joey from the previous movie. Of course, Kincaid, uh, a very uh, loud uh, black man who has the ability to be very strong in dreams. And Joey, who mysteriously had his teardrop tattoo removed after his first scene. And that's, that's a about power. It. He now looks like he's gearing up for a VJ gig on MTV. <laughs> yes. And that's about it. He, She calls them into his dream, and we see a very nice composite shot of Kincaid flying out of his chair into the back wall, which kudos. Again, the problem with this movie is not special effects. Uh, but once they arrive there, like, Kincaid's like, what the fuck are you doing? We're not, we're not, we don't have to do this anymore. There's, he's dead. Freddie is dead. And Joey's like, the boiler is cold, which I don't believe we established that if the boiler is hot, that means Freddy's around. But I guess visually we did. Sure. Why not? Um, and then out of nowhere, Kristen gets bitten by a dog. End of scene. Well, yeah. Well, the dog, Jason, uh, um, just fully Mario pipes his way into this dream. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and then bites her. And then end of scene. I wish, I wish, I wish I could figure out who the picture is on Kristen's mirror of the guy in the tuxedo, 
but for the life of me, I cannot isolate it nearly enough to determine it. But Reverse it is a magazine search. Clip. Enhance. <laughs> enhance, enhance. It's just too blurry, unfortunately. Um, but then she wraps her arm in a bandage and goes back to bed. Yeah. Well, she's tired. Get some Neosporin or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just wrap that in a random towel you happen to have around your bed and get some Z's because you got a long day ahead of you. The free roaming dog thing, I don't, because she has to call people into her sleep. So how does the dog end up there? Other than perhaps, as you say, there's a magic Mario pipe underneath of uh, Kincaid's yeah. bed. Or or maybe the dog was never real to begin with. The dog's an agent of the dream, as we'll see later. Uh, I don't <laughs> Oh, it's just just terrible. So let's cut to the wonderful city of Burbank uh, with the help of Kristen and the Divinals, an Australian band famous for their number one masturbation anthem, I Touch Myself. Uh, A classic that even me, my one hit wonder obsessed self in high school was like, you know what? I'm good. (laughs) I'm tapping out on this Australian duo. Uh, this is a really beautiful shot of her driving up to this house that's only marred by the very obvious amassed crew and production trucks just beyond the block. (laughs) And no one thought, maybe we should have her drive in the other direction there? No, 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 this is perfect. No one will notice Everyone standing around giant production trucks with their lights on in the middle of the day. Perfect. Hey, look, great. Spring uh, Springwood, Ohio has a really great tax break. So they were shooting Law and Order there. <laughs> um, so what? How would you describe Kristen's outfit? Because uh, I wrote oh, down is- nursing business casual size eighteen. I was going to say, I didn't know they made uh, surgical scrubs out of bathrobe material. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you put that together with the white ankle socks and black flats. This is a very, very sexy outfit. <laughs> you can see um, all of none of her body. <laughs> that's right. If you're into ankles, hold on to your hats because you're not going to see those either. You're basically the lower half. Yeah. You're going to have to lean so close to the ground that the bill of your hat's going to flip up. (laughs) Anyway, um, not a joke moving on. (laughs) So, uh, first out of the rest of the entire cast that we meet is Alice, uh, who is asked by her drunk father, are you going out dressed like that? As if she's donned a bad Sandy outfit. Well, look, I, I would say I would be really worried, too, if my daughter was going out dressed like Ali Sheedy from The Breakfast Club. <laughs> she looks like she's mourning the death of a Bay City roller. I don't, I don't know what the point of this outfit is, either matching the putrid orange yellow of that sweater that should be uh, in the band truck for Nirvana, but isn't. Or the fact that she's basically costumed in a tablecloth with kangaroo pockets that are hanging several inches below her natural waistline. It's terrible. Even for this is a mousy girl, this is terrible. Look, it's not her fault that she had to go shopping at the same thrift store where they sold all of um, Jess from Hello Mary Lou Prom Light 2 after she died. That's where they sent all of her clothes. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my god. It is terrible. Uh then we meet Alice's uh brother Rick. Uh oh, you mean Diet a- Christian Slater? <laughs> he's addicted to hair gel and he's also cosplaying as Paul Reiser headlining the comedy store. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very odd outfit, and he's wearing a lot of clothes for what looks like a very summer's day. Um, drunk dad is drunk before work, so that means he's serious about it. And that's about all I can tell you about that scene. Well, wait, um, no, there's the part where, where he and Kristen are kissing, and then his dad comes out and sees them, and um, Diet Christian Slater wipes the kiss off his mouth as if his dad can see the residue. <laughs> Is he afraid that his dad will think he's heterosexual or sexual at all? I just don't understand the general threat of dad beyond he's drunk. Maybe drunk dad will become more clear to us uh, later on in other further episodes. But right now he's fucking Maybe. useless. Um, so we're going to pull into the exterior of Springwood High School in Los Angeles, which you might recognize from certain shots in Greece or the time Glee covered songs from Greece, or this movie. That's about it. Um, this is where we meet Brooke. Jesus, headbanger Christ, what is on top of her head? Is that her natural hair, or is that a wig? Because if it is a wig, well, it is standing on top of the same volume of hair. Okay, it's someone's natural hair, but I think she found it backstage at a concert. <laughs> uh, I was alive during this period of fashion history. But I never saw with my own eyes the whole spandex top and tube skirt combo. Um, But it is rather glorious. Uh, Brooke tells us she's having trouble with her trig homework because she was too busy watching Dynasty, a nighttime soap that would be canceled merely one year after this movie was released and was far from its height of popularity. So this is a very weird reference for a teenager to make. A true stand. <laughs> Very true stand. Also, also, it's on once a week. I'm like, what is going on here? You should be able this, to get around this. Well, this elicits the line from Rick, soaps will kill ya. Yeah. Which in in no way reeks of having been written in seven days at a kitchen table. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, it, it's not one of those lines that sounds okay because it fills up space on a white page. Uh, it's great. It's, it's one of the ones the that one you highlight with fix later. <laughs> um, Brooke also alerts us to the arrival of Dan, whom she calls one major league hunk. Yes. And who in, introducing call... him to a group of people who already know him. Yes. But his beauty needs to be, I guess, called out. Yes. Um, he could be, I guess, because of the letterman's jacket, he could be described as a major league hunk. I would call him more eyebrow than face. But maybe he's just not my flavor. Oh, really? I thought <laughs> after all of the struggles we've been through together, you you didn't like Court from Friday the 13th Part 6. You not- didn't like Kendall from Pieces. I was like, if there's one thing we as a society can agree on, it's that Dan in the Dream Master is a hot person. <laughs> okay. I, I think he has all the components to be hot. Yes. And, and Court does as well. Court, I, I think, is the closest I have come to a sexual like, awakening. He's not, but he's not part two level dude hot. 
Um, okay. All the well, dudes in Friday the Thirteenth Part Part Two, with the exception of the red-haired guy, Paul, who's the jokester. Oh, t- Ted or Ned? Yeah, one of those. Um, he there's just there's a litany of hot dudes in there, and Court I'm fine with. I just don't like him satorily, and I also don't like fair. the fact that he seems re- uh, to pass on rather um, erroneous, uh, racist stories. <laughs> About uh, trail markers. That's my major problem with him. Okay. Well, forgot um, about that problematic fave. Yeah. <laughs> um. You know, and you know he might not. Maybe it was a bad night for him having sex in that Winnebago. He might have been distracted, or maybe they just didn't have the right chemistry. But he does display a, a, the possibility that he doesn't fuck so good. Sorry, but what? Of Dan, though, like what? What fault are you possibly finding with him? Eyebrows are great. Yeah. I get it that maybe you're a face guy. <laughs> um, well, I haven't seen his. I haven't seen much of his torso. He's like everyone in this movie is wearing seventy five percent more clothes than they need, with the exception of Brooke. She's the only one who's decided to wear something skin tight and barely there. Okay, well, I can't wait. You need to just really hold on to this idea and think about it for the pool party from the dream child um, when okay. he is glued a front first to a towel and you can barely see anything. But the fact that you can almost see it is more exciting, maybe. <laughs> I can't wait. That, that is the first good thing I've heard about the dream child in a really long time. <laughs> um, so Rick says... I'll introduce you to Alice, who seems to be daydreaming about Dan. And then Kristen's like, Rick, like (laughs) as if Rick is threatened to expose Alice's sexual history in the school yearbook. Like, what is her fucking problem? I I don't understand why he needs to be chastised for, oh, you like that guy? I will introduce you to that guy. Yeah, you really got me there. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I, I just think she's not a great Kristen. And she's not been given much to do. And she doesn't have a lot of motivation for what she does. And I think maybe everything Rick does is just so deeply wrong that she just assumed he said something inappropriate. (laughs) It's true. He doesn't have a very good batting average for okay things said aloud. Yeah. Um, And also in this same scene, he makes a gay joke about Kincaid and Joey. And I'm like, thank you, Rick. No, 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 no. I would pay anything to watch Kincaid slap the taste out of Rick's mouth. (laughs) I, it would be like one and done. He would be on the fucking floor when Kincaid hit him. Yeah, none of that karate training will have how, helped. No, I don't care how much karate kidding you're doing. You are not going to recover from that. But let's rewind just a little bit because we're not done introducing this okay. cast. <laughs> Brooke uh, tracks down Sheila, played by Toy Newkirk, with her hair done up like Jeannie from My Dream of Jeannie. Brooke calls a dude needle dick and stomps on a cockroach. That's right. It's Chekhov's cockroach, everyone. Oh, man. But hey, at least they're... Look, I admire the fact that they had a setup. That means he thought back from a scene he wrote later. And so that means maybe there was a second draft in there somewhere. Yeah, at least they knew a cockroach death would happen by the time they got to this point in the filming. So it's about the only prologue you're going to get to something that occurs later on in the movie because they don't know what the hell they're doing. And it's, so, it's one of the 18 character traits they've shaken up in a bag and dumped all over her. 
Uh, let's cut to that white kid dojo and crank up the drama-rama. Mm. It's time for very disjointed karate montage. Uh, why are there so many fucking newspapers stacked up in this garage? It's a real fire hazard. I don't know. Maybe it's an evidence dungeon in training. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Somewhere in that stack is a newspaper article that says Fred Krueger let loose on charges uh, accused of 20 plus child murders. Yeah. What, what, so drunk dad wouldn't have been one of the parents who killed him, right? He, he's a separate dad. No, because he is the, the because technically or as we're told several times, Kristen, Kincaid and Joey are quote unquote, the last of the Elm Street kids. And the rest of these teenagers are, they moved in after their yes, transplants yes. to wherever this is. Or, I, I mean, guess. look, there are, there are probably other streets in Springwood. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I guess, it, but it's not like Fred only specialized in Elm Street specifically. That's just where two of the houses were. Tina didn't live on Elm Street. She lived elsewhere in the neighborhood. Why, why they picked themselves to be the Elm Street kids, I can't even tell you. I think um, that's maybe a line we weren't supposed to notice. But yet, podcasts exist. They could never have predicted. The only other thing I really want to point out in this kitchen is that Alice has every surface of that tile covered in like a dozen tea towels. Like, how afraid of <laughs> secondary moisture is this woman? She has a tea towel under the coffee thing. Like, it's on tile. If you spill some coffee, fucking wipe it up. Like, you don't need a tea towel underneath it. That's not how tea towels work, everyone. I mean, I white Springwood, I think, Springwood is based is basically working on a beverage-based economy um, <laughs> based on the amount of, like, coffee and alcohol that are being hidden and produced by characters throughout this franchise. I mean, so, oh, God. He's no Joyce, dude. He is no fucking Joyce. No, I mean, look, I'm not trying to say that at all, but I'm just saying I think after a while in this town, you learn to expect spillage. <laughs> he doesn't even attempt to hide that bottle of vodka. He just walks in and goes, oh, contracts. Like, why even put up the front that you were working when we all know that you are a drunky drunk? I mean... Why not both? <laughs> That's true. Just Drunken like double fisting, work. bottle of vodka in one hand, stack of contracts in the other. Two fisting, it, eh, basically. Let's cut to Kincaid, who tries to prop himself up while he throws a ball. Um, unlike part five, where we discovered there is no handball in the hallway. Apparently, handball is allowed in his room. And well, it's not the uh, hallway, Kincaid, so it's still it's that's why the cops have not descended immediately upon him. And it should be noted here that Kincaid uh, falls asleep and then wakes up in the junkyard from the last film. And this sequence is rather well shot and established. And I think the special effects are really cool. I think they make it look bigger and more dangerous looking. There's lots of John Woo sparks at one point. Oh, yeah. Get ready for that. Rennie Harlan is here to play, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> then we run up against quite possibly the dumbest resurrection scenario I've ever seen in a motion picture. And although someone said somewhere that in one of the Leprechaun movies that he emerges out of somebody's dick. Have you not seen Leprechaun 4 in space? No, I have not. 
Oh my god. I'm so excited for when Kill by Kill eventually is so strapped that we have to do the Leprechaun movies. It's going to be a blast. So this is one above that, although that at least has a dick involved. Because here, a dog pees fire on Freddy's grave in a dream that well, resurrects him in real life, but in a in a, in a dream. Is this how Catholicism works? Well, look, holy water is what killed him, right? This is unholy yes. water. <laughs> So the dog drank unholy water, came into the dream, peed fire on a real location, but in a dream. Oh my God, my brain is fucking broken. How did the only thing better than the fact that this exists on film is at one point, James Cameron was apparently in the New Line offices and asked, oh, probably jokingly, how are you going to resurrect Freddy this time? And... She, he was told, oh, by Rennie Harlan, oh, a dog pees fire on him. <laughs> Thus inspiring the script for Avatar 2. <laughs> oh, um, my fingers are crossed so hard that Look, they're practically broken. You can't prove me wrong because that movie will never come out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, like the boy too. I'll believe it when I see it. And chances are I will never see it. I cannot believe it took three people to come up with this idea in written form, but I don't even think that happened. I, this has got to be just something out of fucking Rennie Harlan's bag of tricks. No, but, but you can't improvise a dog peeing fire on the day. They clearly had to <laughs> prep for that. <laughs> I think probably a week before they were going to shoot it, they're like, how are we going to do this? And he's like, uh, the dog pee fire. And then it happens. <laughs> well, look, I, I just, I don't think that uh, Screaming Mad George had like a bag and was like, you know what? I have this dog penis shaped flamethrower. Why don't we just work this in? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're, you're not giving Screaming Mad George nearly the amount of credit that he needs. Okay. <laughs> just, true. I think he does have a dog penis flamethrower. You know what? At you're, the ready. If anybody does. It's probably him. So Kincaid makes it exactly 11 minutes into this movie. R.I.P.D. Kincaid, you deserved much better than this. Although and, I will say okay. that that great that, that junkyard sequence is pretty cool. Oh, uh, you mean where it, it, the camera pulls up and you see that the whole world is the junkyard? Yes. yes that is a great matte painting. You can't take yes. that matte painting away. But what you can do is g do the worst smash cut to like Freddy's glove already in Kincaid. And it's like, what? We didn't see any of this. <laughs> They're better at smashing cars and making sparks than... And quoting the tagline of Serpent in the Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't tell me... That wasn't intentional. Um, it had to have been. That was the same year. Oh, yeah. And they did consult him on whether or not he wanted to come back. And apparently his <laughs> idea for this one was time travel and dreams. And I'm like, fuck that. God, I love Wes Craven. <laughs> but he also had crazy fucking ideas. Yeah, that's why I like Deadly Friend. <laughs> <laughs> I like Deadly Friend with the exception of the Frank Welker sound effects. For the robot, if you took away the Frank Welker reactions of bloop, bleep, 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 that sound like Maybe. him just, just off of Scrappy-Doo, <laughs> it would be a lot better movie. Perhaps. Um, <laughs> also, but, it has an awesome basketball death. And how many movies have those? Almost none. Almost none, for the exception of Deadly Friend. So, Kristen, uh, we cut to Kristen pounding Diet Coke and in here, front of her uh, U2 art. 
Well, here's see, I paused this scene, Patrick, uh-huh. because I know wall art's very important to you in this podcast. It is very. But there is a YouTube poster. Mm-hmm. There is what seems to be a drawing of a toucan. <laughs> <laughs> of course, there is. Uh-huh. But in the upper right of frame, there is a poster of an alligator holding a skateboard. Oh. <laughs> um, he's wearing sunglasses and board shorts. And a tank top that, I mean, I was watching this on a DVD, but as far as I could tell, the tank top reads, so hot it hurts. It makes perfect sense because when it comes to surfing alligators, there's a temperature level that they have to deal with because they're above the water. Yeah, and they're probably in Florida, right? So Probably known for its surfing culture. (laughs) It's known for its gator culture. (laughs) Oh, do you think it, was it a surfboard or a skater? Because I just figured it was a skater gator. Um, it looked to me like a surfboard, but I will go back and make sure when I talk to Gina about it. Okay, please do. This is very important. It's a very important distinction because surfer gator does not have the same ring to it. No. <laughs> Skating gator makes a lot more sense. Um, sure. Hot. To, Into so it. Hot that it literally causes pain. Um, we don't know if it's to him or to others. I'm assuming me, Uh, but let's cut to something else that's caused me a lot of pain. And that's a poster of Hope Marie Carlton. Oh, is that a real person? That is a real person. And if you thought me listing other people's movies was painful before. Oh, no. Wait till I tell you the other movies that Hope Marie Carlton has been in. Oh, this list is going to be so hot it hurts. Hard ticket to Hawaii. Oh, okay. Savage Beach. Sure. Uh, she was also in uh, Slumber Party Massacre 3. The weakest. <laughs> uh, but apparently she has very a lot shorter hair there. Also, I think the best credit on her entire list, and that's including Hard Ticket to Hawaii, that I personally love. Um, but her ranch that she owned with her ex-husband in Moab, Utah, was prominently featured in the HBO late night softcore series called Hotel Erotica, which must have been very awesome. Wow. Yes. The more you know. <laughs> but um bum bum Starfield. That's Hope Marie Carlton. She's not just a poster lady or someone who appears to you inside of your waterbed. Once again, we are introduced to the concept of someone on their bed watching television with headphones on with something heavy on their chest. So this is a callback to the original, I suppose. And in the middle of this, (laughs) Joey, in all of his, from underneath that amazing helmet of hair that he has, he looks up at this poster of Hope Marie Carlton. And as is previously been explained to us his weakness is ladies with very difficult 80s boob jobs (laughs) difficult (laughs) was it difficult for the surgeon or for them or for us the end result for sure joey's weakness besides teardrop tattoos from that guy he killed in juvie is they blonde he doesn't learn (laughs) uncomfortable boob jobs from the 80s so heavy their weight worries me less than their density which appears to be very tough they're rigid <laughs> they're like a well-done steak <laughs> yes and um i, I just I, I just don't feel like there's a lot of um 
you know, it's tough. Well, and that, it was early. That's too much woman for him. She's going to snap him right in half. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and that is, in fact, what happens when our, her visage uh, gives way to Freddy Krueger and he just comes up out of this waterbed, which, unlike the one placed in the training room in pieces, has a real purpose and a very much a real danger. Uh, he Joey is pulled into the waterbed, stabbed delicately by Freddy, uh, as he mm. says, how about that wet dream? And that's it. <laughs> that's over. <laughs> Goodbye. And all two thirds of the cast of Dream Warriors. Truly. And your powers and, suck here, I guess. And he barely gets a coda. Like, because at least Kincaid, he has that sad, a star is born scene of his dog just kind of like looking at his corpse. <laughs> but Joey, he gets almost nothing. And I was. I was scouring the Nightmare on Elm Street wiki, hoping to find something as effortlessly hilarious as the Friday the 13th wiki. <laughs> um, and just no dice there. But no. I did learn that even though his name is Joey Crusoe, he is mistakenly referred to on his tombstone as Joseph Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> so we at least have some more uh, hijinks in the graveyard. <laughs> I love it. I love every single part of it. It is a very, a very, inauspicious death for a person who they've ported over from one movie to the next. Yeah. Why not recast both of them? Why bring them in at all? I think cause they said yes. <laughs> it was about the only reason I could think when they asked the three of them, two of them said yes. Mm-hmm. I also love that he just has a random bucket in his room and a pineapple. <laughs> it's in case he pops the water bath <laughs> with a pineapple. <laughs> What is he doing with that pineapple? <laughs> oh, I mean, my God. There's a whole scenario. I love that he's reading about Tom Hanks in Rolling Stone. It's Tom Hanks or Vanilla Ice. It's too early for Vanilla Ice, so it has to be Tom Hanks. They both did have that haircut, though, didn't they? Yes, they did. They have very similar tight sides, high tops going on. Um, oh, Joey gonna... just just doesn't have a very cool outfit. It's just... Very Did red you expect sweatpants. him to? Were you like, oh, I'm I'm going into the Dream Master. Rodney Eastman's name's in the credits. I can't wait to see what fabulous outfit he's cooked up for us this time. <laughs> he's wearing two t-shirts to bed. It's just, it's Look, a that, lot of That's clothes. less than any other character in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he is scantily clad. It's 1988 when everyone feared nuclear winter, apparently, and prepared for it nightly. And, and that's fucking dream the first part of dream master yeah it goes by it goes down real smooth it's so fast yeah barely anything happens in it um and yet two people die and that's almost as many people die as in the dream child yeah that's gonna be you're getting some interesting territory coming down the road on this one yes it's very odd uh any other final words about the dream master well I was really excited that you invited me onto the show to talk about it because Dream Master is one that I do think is underrated. On recent rewatch, I, I maybe I was ignoring how stupid most of it is. <laughs> um, just in I think terms it's of fun. I think it's fun when you watch it all in a row. There, there's yes. fun, there's a lot of fun things in it. It's just yeah. not fun in terms of character. It's fun in terms of the way it looks. 
Well, the thing is, I mean, and, and I wrote a whole Dread Central column about this, but I really like the character of Alice in this movie. I, I don't want to, you know, jump too far ahead, but I just find her arc to be one of the better Final Girl arcs of 80s slasherdom in general. It's very much about finding self-identity and the there's an actual good visual metaphor with her mirror. And I was like, wow, I'm so excited I was brought in to talk about this. Um, and it's the 15 minutes where she does absolutely nothing. <laughs> Except uh, well, stand next to that hanging basket of lemons in their kitchen. <laughs> uh, continuing the ongoing uh, motif of macrame in Nightmare on Elm Street films. It was apparently inexplicable. That's that's Dream Master, man. That's, that's what it's at. Yeah, that, that's what it is. <laughs> Wait, do we have to do the choose your own adventure thing? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> we have two deaths. I'm so used to just talking about one of them. Frankly, I forgot. Let's choose I mean, our own death venture. Luke, this is your show. You can do what you want. I just prepped because I figured it was happening. <laughs> of the two deaths presented uh, in this section of the movie, which one would you choose to die from and why? Up for bid. We have stabbed in a junkyard just in the chest but we don't see it happen really or dragged into a waterbed, uh, which then just kind of fills up for with blood. And then your mom okay. finds you and screams. Well, okay. I I've thought about this. Um, I know the rules are very strict for this game, but can I ask that I see a man in the waterbed instead of a woman? <laughs> Um, no. <laughs> I'm submitted to the jury. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid you're going to have to wear two t-shirts. You're going to have to wear those Fine. red, uncomfortable sweatpants. You're going to cool. have to be reading about Tom I don't want to die already. I mean, technically a man is in that waterbed. The cover of Rolling Stone with Tom Hanks in it. Mm, okay, well, if it's not, well, really any cast member from part six, Tom Matthews, I would love in my waterbed. I would love Court. But if it's not them, I'm going to have to go with Kincaid because at least I would know, I would get to see the fire pissing dog before I die. And that really is one of those situations where you're like, you know what? I've seen, I've lived a life. I've seen everything I can. <laughs> you're going out on top. And yeah, uh, I would be right there with you. If not for the idea that I would finally get to achieve the dream that was laid out for me in pieces. Um, the only thing missing here is I'm not smoking pot while having sex in a waterbed. But oh, having Hope Carlton appear underneath it is about as close as I'm ever going to get to that. Because I feel like a waterbed is terrible for your back. And I'm just of an age where I can't handle that shit anymore. Also, I would like, love please. my mom to find me dead and scream. Everything that, I've ever wanted since 1988. <laughs> okay. Okay. And so, so that concludes this portion. So now tell everyone where they can find you out there on the internets. I will. I will, Jason. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at It's Raining Brens. Um, you can find me on Instagram at The Burning Clem. That's C-L-E-M. Um, you can also find my shows on, well, on Twitter and Instagram at Queer Wolf Pod, and then on Twitter at Scream101Pod. Do it today, people. Check it out. And so until next time for myself and for Gina and for Brennan, uh, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Do you want to just do it again with together. me as Gina?
Kill by Kill is produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. A Nightmare on Elm Street is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill's logos were created by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.